Welcome everyone to the Daredevil Podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is a guy so dedicated to the show that he always wears his Columbia hoodie while podcasting, just never has his back to the window. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. You always know where to start. You never know where to stop, Matt. The Daredevil Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 210, The Man in the Box, is brought to you by Metro General Hospital Health System. They might take six months to remodel the off-the-grid wing, but trust us, billing will still find you. Order in the court! One more outburst and I'll hold you in contempt. Let's enter the evidence into the record and give the devil his due. Our teaser here, Matt, indistinct radio chatter, flashlights, cops, and Mahoney! Indeed. Pete, that's Detective Exposition Mahoney to you. Sergeant Detective, or Detective Sergeant, I can't remember which comes first. It doesn't matter, but he's here to tell us what happened, even though he doesn't know what the hell happened here. Well, Pete, he, of course, sees the dead and the dying in the basement. Brett, ever there for the audience, is us. We are as horrified as he is. It's been a tough day on the job, and uh, as he and his partner step outside, Pete, ambulances are two out and headed to 54 St. Mark's, which yes. means things. And, uh, you know, his his uh, subordinate Thompson there uh, is helping him out. Uh, Gibson was in the... Uh, the subterranean level as well, and he he saw the tubing and and gagged in a ghastly way. And there's Daredevil in the shadows to uh, let him know that uh, he's not going to tell him what he really knows because he's asked. You know, do you know who's doing this? Uh, I have an idea. And then, yes, so <laughs> that the yakuza are working with somebody. Oh, you know, that's that's some. Some S you don't want to get mixed up into there, 108 already. Nice. In this moment, Pete, you really see the bond between the Devil of Hell's Kitchen and Mahoney. It's wonderful. They are striking perfectly in this scene. A 100% believable line between fact and fiction. You can just imagine a cop like this, you know sauntering on over to the shadows to get the the secret info from the masked vigilante and uh hey pete they mentioned the 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 hospital of choice saint mark's daredevil suggests that the victims be brought to metro general instead i don't think it was to metro general i think they were saying that they were at saint mark's remember we never got a um an address where the farm was at 54 St. Mark's, uh, I believe that's where they are. Um, it's understood you would go to the place that could handle it the best on top of needing to keep this quiet. And at Metro General, there is someone, Matt, who can do that. Pete, this, all this police, uh, this police uh, uh, lingo here, that I, I must have been confused. Regardless, though, they are going to head to Metro General, right? Yes. Oh, good. Someday, Matt, somebody's going to tell you how to do your job. (laughs) The story moves to Mahoney bringing uh, in those victims. Claire, the night nurse, receives them and makes mention of that empty wing being a perfect uh, place to put them. Uh, She diagnoses them with high fevers. They're unresponsive. One of them. No, wait, two of them. Hey, is it all of them? No fingerprints. And... uh, Burned off. Burned. Oof. Ouch. And, and Pete, if I know kind anything. junkies do this? <laughs> the one nurse asks like this. It's New York's number one. Uh, Claire steps out of the room there. Everybody's kind of getting, uh, I won't quite say stable, but everybody's getting the attention they need. Pete, as soon as you saw the, the hoodie back to the camera, uh, you knew you knew what was about to unfold. That must be Daredevil's own Matt Murdock. And the medical condition recapped for them, just in case you didn't get that. Five non-responsive, high fever, no fingerprint patients. You want to tell me what kind of S-storm, 111, you've just rained down on me. But hey, it's complicated. Um, And uh, 
it's the same guy that uh, this is courtesy of that uh, Claire had to patch Matt up last time as a result of. Uh, but wait a minute. You saw him burn to death in case you didn't see that episode. Yeah, I was wrong. But also that we've uh, got to keep these people safe, um, that they're in danger, their vitals. No, not even that. We're talking about their lives here. He's going to offer all the protection he can, but uh, he's not sure that uh, Nobu and his ninjas might not still be planning on retaking, reclaiming these patients. Pete, I think that's what they call in the TV biz the foreshadowing because I think that's how the episode ends. Yes. Weighted down by this knowledge that the bad guys still could be could be coming, that uh, courtesy of Matt, these five mystery cases have been brought here. Claire is really unhappy to see Matt. She hasn't missed him. Still, though, she checks him out. There's a bone bruise, eh, maybe a break. With that, uh, she has just the thing for him. She gives him aspirin, calling it the Catholic morphine. So I'll ask Catholic Pete, uh, is aspirin the Catholic morphine? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, Catholic heroin, when I'm chasing the Catholic dragon, that's usually something like uh, pizza or, or something really risque. What is, what is Catholic methadone? Um, hmm. I'll get back to you on that one. Fair enough. Well, pain addressed. Matt overhears Brett's radio. Mildly unclear at this moment, by the way, as to whether uh, it was loud enough for Claire to hear as well. Doesn't really make any difference. But it's just a moment where, oh, do they both hear it? No, Matt hears it. Oh my goodness, Pete, the Punisher has escaped. Our multi-level uh, story is uh, coming together as we head to the title card. Yeah, this day keeps getting worse all the time. To the courthouse steps we go, where Karen, Foggy, and Matt all eventually wind up requested, nay, demanded by District Attorney Reyes. Slight hand of the writer here. We are introduced to the scene as Karen arrives. Uh, Agent Gallagher says, uh, hang on one second, I'll get you through security. Drops her off with Foggy so, um, so that both... Foggy and Karen can talk, and then Gallagher brings Foggy in, so Karen's by herself, but then Matt shows up, which forces Matt and Karen to talk. I, I understand that that you need to have these characters get over the, the darkness behind them and have the uncomfortable conversation, but it was like, Agent Gallagher is not an agent for the FBI or, or whatever. She's an agent for the writer's room to get these people to have uncomfortable conversations of exactly the length they need. And then she says, oh, security is ready. Come on through. And as they're walking through this labyrinthine uh, courthouse, Matt, it's a chance for the exposition to come out. Hey, you know, this has happened. And wait, but what about this? Grilled like fish because uh, they were the last attorneys of Frank Castle and they might know something about his escape. Uh, but hang on, um, you know, where was Castle? He was in cell block D with all the other rock stars. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Who else was there? I, I keep a mental list of everybody. That's where Wilson Fisk was. Oh, hey, we're at the office. <laughs> uh, so, so Pete are you suggesting too that though this is uh, an important expositional scene for our characters to catch up that the space from the front doors to Reyes's office is exactly long enough to have this conversation precisely they enter there they're ready Pete they, they have their lawyer blood boiling Reyes is wearing her Fordham Law hoodie she seems a little out of her element uh, despite the fact that Nelson, Murdoch, and Page were the, brought there by police. Oh, yeah, sorry about that, she says in almost a scatterbrained fashion. Reyes is told to put all her cards on the table. And Pete, that's when she admits that she's made some mistakes, especially with that Castle family being gunned down. Shruggy emoji. Yeah, um, and, and this is the scene that you can only have after discovering everything that we have over the last several episodes. So the, the, the mea culpa, and now that she's pulling them in, not as suspects, but to clear the air and make the request 
that uh, should they hear from their former client that they reach out. Uh, but instead of breaking privilege here, the big reason why they would do this is because uh, Samantha Reyes has found an X-ray in her daughter's backpack, and it was not her daughter's X-ray. Indeed, it's uh, the X-ray that uh, Karen had found uh, during the course of her sleuthing. It, it occurs to me, Pete, that although I, um, although while watching this scene, I was not um, kind of, uh, let's say, aware that it was just an expositional trading of information that we already knew. But I'm realizing that's all that this is. Yes, is the addition of Reyes uh, and the X-ray, and uh, it appears the Punisher is after her. Emphasis on appears, but uh, we have uh, as well that Karen knows that the DA's office was a part of the cover up. Tower is there too, telling them that the blacksmith appeared on their radar. Right. He wanted to be the market. He's bringing in a ton of the product, but no trace. Uh, again, this is all it, it's it, it's weird. I know that the show has to address everybody finding this stuff out, but the recap of the three gangs and Foggy says, Wait. Let me list the gangs for, for, for everyone in here and all of you at home. Um, and things went predictably to crap or whatever number that is, Pete. <laughs> uh, that would be uh, one oh. I'm sorry, that would be 116. There was, there was, there was a lot of crap in this scene. <laughs> um, Foggy in particular, I'm going to count him up. He might be our, our greatest offender. <laughs> our, our biggest esser? Yes. Um. Regardless, though, Pete, the the new news in this scene, as you said, is the Punisher coming after Reyes's daughter? Please, let's keep her family safe. Break privilege. Help us out. We're all one big team now, guys. And no sooner, Matt, does the, the kumbaya vibe of "Hey, we're we're all together." Even Karen, uh, okay, he's he's not gonna go after your kid. That's a, that's against his code that I'm gonna bring up here for the first time in the episode. And you know, while we're making it sound that it's less than eloquently handled, I I would disagree that that's the case that you have to recap these necessary pieces for viewers that might have binge watched it a minute before might have, you know, taken several weeks between episodes. So it's, it's not as bad as it sounds, but Matt, here's the gun cock and goodbye district attorney Reyes. We barely like, knew you across Jessica Jones and uh, daredevil season two. It's like an episode of Lost. Look, she's found her redemption. She's at peace. Now she's dead. Um, it's, it's a particularly vicious scene. Uh, Reyes clearly getting gunned through the middle. Foggy clearly getting gunned in the shoulder. Pete, thank goodness, if I've learned anything from watching way too much television my entire life, it's the solid medical knowledge that in your shoulder is nothing but fat. Because you can be shot in your shoulder at any time, and if you're a cowboy, you just um, put it in a sling, and if you're in the more modern day, then you just get like a one of those like sticky uh, big giant band-aid things, and you're okay. There's no bones, there's no cartilage, there's no sockets or joints or anything. I knew Foggy would be okay. Reyes quite dead as Tower rises from, from the floor. Pete... After checking out the comics, it turns out that Tower is normally the district attorney. I wonder if we're headed there with him. Oh, you better believe it. Anyhow, the story then moves to the courthouse being hurriedly cleared, and it there's there's a visceral feel to it that kind of reminds us uh, of the dangers in our own world. And uh, I just want to point out a particularly great helicopter shot. Two Can't, of them, the camera, yeah. yeah. I, you know, we're 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 up the game as far as. Um, you know, the, the presentment that's happening here and Matt, in light of yesterday, uh, April, uh, 15th, we're recording this on the 16th to drop on the 17th. Um, the announcement that the daredevil season two showrunners, uh, Marco Ramirez and, uh, Douglas Petrie will be, uh, running the defenders, I think we can see why from the, the level of game that they have upped on this series, not to mention, 
you know, where trajectory this story is going between the hand, between Fisk targeting the entire city now that he's running the prison. And shots like this, get get used to scale like this as we amp it up and, and bring all our defenders together. And Matt, we've only had two of those seasons, two of those series come out so far. Well, goodness knows they'll keep us busy with uh, with more Luke Cage in September. Iron Fist, presumably not far behind as uh, as there's casting info there. I mean, there's no way they can do Defenders before Iron Fist comes out, right? I mean, to me, that would be unconscionable. No, they will not. Um, they're further along in Iron Fist than they are with the Defenders. So Defenders will definitively happen after at least the first season of uh, Iron Fist airs. I'm willing to say we're slightly more than a year away from Defenders. If, if I was going to peg it, I would say fall of 2017. And presumably that affects... Uh, this Daredevil podcast and more Daredevil. I mean, there's no way, there's no way that they'd be able to do anything approaching eight to ten to thirteen episodes of Defenders while concurrently the, doing. The Defenders is going to be a miniseries. It will not be a regular series unless <laughs> their plans change. But no, it, it was in print yesterday as a mini. Just like how after they did a Dare one season of Daredevil, one of Jessica Jones, one of Luke Cage, and one of. Uh, of uh, iron fist they would do defenders and that would be it so it always in motion the future is yes anyhow back to this episode uh good news pete fdny paramedics they're patching up foggy he was hitting the shoulder so he'll be fine he says as much um matt is there he's ready to don the cowl and foggy points out what I thought was a very great uh, observation. Now is an awful time to go after the Punisher. The police are on his trail, and he's stuck to the island of Manhattan because apparently there's not bridges you can walk or subways you can take. Yeah, and the relationship between the two of them still not anywhere near what it's been. Foggy feels like he's been shot, and uh, though he warns Matt not to go off, we know what's going to happen. And then, look, hey, Matt left, and Karen walks over because awkwardness. Where's he going? Why don't you ask him? <laughs> yeah, um, but but since she can't ask him because he's leaving, Tower then joins him. Again, Pete, neither you nor I are down on this episode. No, or I particularly... thought it was quite the quite the good episode, but it, it's you know it's it's connecting these dots at the same time. There are there are a couple of leaps that this episode makes, while dramatic and good, really beg some questions, like. Uh, what's going to happen in a scene or two. Um, regardless, Tower joins them. He talks about how the corruption was there before he got there. Got it? He's a good guy. Whereas Reyes was part of the cover-up. She was covering her tracks, changing police reports and the like. But not Tower. Nope. He's been trying to help. But Pete, his hands were tied. Now a New York district attorney is dead and anyone could be next. He's going to go into hiding. Tower leaves. Exposition over. And us reassured <laughs> that he's a good guy. And may even be a partner for a fledgling legal team, if they ever get back together, if this assistant district attorney were ever to go up the chain of command to become, I don't know, New York district attorney, like the head one or whatever, yeah, maybe. Most interesting, I found, none of the admissions, because we knew, obviously, he was feeding the information to Karen. It's foggy finding this out. It's, this episode is loaded with dramatic irony, none of which is for the viewer. It was that Reyes was getting sloppier each time that she did this, um, which I find interesting because it seemed like she had the city so sewn up uh, early in this season. And the idea that this has been steadily unraveling for some time was an interesting one with Matt already have left. Uh, and Karen here ready to leave as well. Foggy's going to go to get x-rays. Pete, x-rays where? Probably Metro General's uh, untraceable ward. 
<laughs> um, anyhow, the story moves along with Matt. Where is he going? To prison. Really nice shot there from director Peter Hoare, H-O-A-R, uh, his, uh, of his, uh, his stick having gone through the x-ray. Um, and he's there with Mr. Donovan, Fisk's lawyer. Donovan says that Matt needs to speak uh, with no one about the conversation with Fisk. There's a whole list. If you speak with these people, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do the other. If so, there'll be financial penalties. There's even paperwork for Matt to sign. It's in, in Braille, Pete, because Fisk believes in accommodating Matt's particular disability. Isn't that nice that Fisk believes we should occasionally help out blind people to do things like read he's a thoughtful man as his highly paid attorney um bills him but uh this uh affidavit here down to the letter financial penalties even matt he must call mr fisk mr fisk (laughs) there is great audio work as matt starts to head down the hall to the visiting room matt picks up Fisk's elephantine heartbeat even before he enters the room. Loved the audio work there. And uh, just as Matt is deprived of his cane to enter the room, his 10 minutes start. Yeah, and I, I think, Matt, we need to talk about the subtext of this scene versus why it appears. So once they're having this discussion and finally... Fisk gets to a place where he can't help Murdoch. We have to ask why uh, they would think to include this. We know, obviously, everything there is to know that Fisk did facilitate um, Castle's escape, that he's not admitting that to Murdoch, and why he would have him here and have the Braille affidavit drawn up, it it doesn't square with the exception of drama. Well, I'm okay with it insofar as if Fisk is trying to reassert his kingpin nature, and in what has been uh, a couple of months, he's been able to go from uh, an inmate uh, told to strip to now running the prison and running things uh, to some degree outside the prison. I think from Fisk's point of view, he has little to lose to bring in this upstart lawyer who, who, who got lucky in uh, this case of Fisk. Um, if he wants to send the message, you know, I'm, I'm coming for you, start to fear the kingpin again because your doom is being foretold face to face. I think that's in line with the guy whose empire we were introduced to at the beginning of the first season. Now, that said, I think that it's also, you know, uh, a bit legally sloppy for him to do such a thing. Uh, I wondered at one point, not if Matt had a recording device because the the show wasn't going there, but Fisk is so open saying, I can speak openly. The guards won't tell. the, The inmates won't tell. No one will tell. Yeah, unless Matt has his iPhone running and then, you know, maybe it's, uh, I don't know, like, or, you know, maybe he's wearing a wire for D.A. Reyes. Oops, D.A. Tower, you know. All of these are possibilities that the show turns a blind eye to. Um, I think it was worth it, Pete. This is a fantastic scene. It It is worth it, again, from the dramatic standpoint. Um, and there's absolutely re- repercussions and ramifications for here and down the road, but I just found myself thinking, all right, he's going to go see him. He's not his lawyer. He's the lawyer that put him in jail. Why he would go there, why uh, Fisk would grant an audience. uh, And then where it goes when um, Fisk says we're finished here, that uh, Matt floats Vanessa's name, we reestablish the only time they met outside of court of law, which was in Vanessa's gallery. And Matt threatens that with, uh, with a single envelope and $6 in postage, he could have Vanessa's visa yanked as uh, an accomplice to everything that he did. And uh, you'll, you'll never see 
her again, they continue to make it that Fisk might get out of this jail in somebody's lifetime, which I just think that given the litany of charges he faced still seems a little bit unbelievable, but that he would and that he'd be able to go see Vanessa, but that he'd never leave New York because it's in his blood. And this is where Fisk loses it to the point, Matt, where he breaks his cuffs and three times slams the head of a blind man on the table, which we're definitely going to talk about in our sidebar segment. Couple of thoughts, first of all, and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to make connections to the real world or, or beat a political drum. Pete, how many people have gone to jail for the financial meltdown in 2008? I think the number is zero. Bernie so, Madoff. <laughs> okay, Bernie. My, my point being, uh, well, yeah, but he that was his own. That wasn't precipitating the financial meltdown, right? My, my point being this: there are plenty of white collar criminals out there, whether in the financial world or or whatever, that we see um, get a, get away with things that they shouldn't. Where where there's the splashy headline of something being charged, and then you know, uh, then six months in a low in low, low security prison, which is actually two months. And yeah, you know, we, we see this type of thing all the time. Usually we associate it with celebrity and we associate it with, you know, oh, this debutante's uh, drunk, you know, drunk driving again. She had to do 12 hours in county jail to serve her 30 day sentence. I think this goes on more than you think. And yes, of course, the show needs Kingpin to uh, restart his organization from the inside and eventually get out in order to set up, I don't know, some sort of multi-villain trouble that might take a quartet of scrappy street-level heroes to come together to battle. But I think that they're, I think that they they have a foot in the real world more than than maybe we think. And again, this is not to fault the show, but I don't see a need for this meeting to occur than one character's attempt to gloat at the other while the other is really trying to get real answers, which he knows this character is never going to give him. That I will agree with, that that the the basic... um, Fisk is too smart to allow this meeting, even with the power play reasons I mentioned earlier. Um, regardless though, great drama. It's great to see him do what he does, but you have to ask yourself from a real world standpoint, which the the show asks us to do (laughs) why they would meet. I'll tell you this, Pete, as we have the monologue that starts Fisk's monologue after Matt's face has been hit a few times. The monologue is savage and giant and a reminder that Vincent D'Onofrio is the best actor, perhaps out of all that Marvel uh, TV and film has done. He, he gives admissions of guilt, running everything, being out to get revenge on Matt Murdock and Franklin Nelson. Uh, Franklin I would even... Percy Nelson middle name man he's he's not playing around and then we he gets out he's going you think frank castle's going to wreak havoc just wait i would even argue pete that in this particular monologue here and what i'm about to say i mean this all but literally i would argue that in that scene vincent d'onofrio ceases to exist and while (laughs) filming there is only kingpin there there is a there is a commitment to the character that, surrounded by great actors, Vincent D'Onofrio is even better. Yes, you get to be more impressive when you're yelling and there's there's spit coming out of your mouth and there's you're. I mean, th- th- this is a much more uh, actors acting scene than oh, let's have a discussion about the defense of Mrs. So and So, who's going to give us uh, some cantaloupes to help us with her rent issue. There's more meat here so he can chew harder, but he's scary good. He is amazing. He is excellent in this role. And again, knowing what we do in real time, that the defenders will be united under this production team, there's no way that D'Onofrio's character isn't going to somehow be at the center of that. 
true as that might be, the message here from the Kingpin is that there's no way out for Matt Murdock, and uh, just a just a chilling scene as Matt is uh, Matt is sent on his way out. Back at the New York Bulletin, uh, Ellison is uh, directing the newsroom in the wake of the courthouse assassination. But holy s, Matt, one eighteen. There's Karen, um, and. We're still kind of straddling the legal journalistic uh, responsibilities that that she holds. And, and there's some good dialogue that helps us to understand she at least gets that in terms of what her responsibilities are, you know, using words like allegedly that this is castle, that, that we need to prove it, um, that we need to ground it in fact. And uh, Ellison and she decide that with other people in play here that Castle might have a grudge against, specifically former medical examiner uh, Dr. Tepper, that they need to uh, run these people down. And they're going to head on over to the S behind Motel 119 where he's been holed up. Confirmation, if nothing else, that it was, as we thought, a hotel. Meanwhile, at a private airport near New York City, a car arrives. That's just how you roll when you're the daughter of a billionaire or a podcaster. It's Electra. She orders tequila at the private hangar bar because if you don't know, every private hangar has a has a well-stocked tequila bar. There's a Frenchman there too. He orders the whole tequila bottle. They flirt and decide that Skiing e shopping, c'est bon. <laughs> and uh, he introduces himself as Jacques Deschamps, and she says that she's Louise. Louise Badeau. Um, yeah, having spent, and, and this is 100% the case, having spent a lot of time in private airports uh, throughout my youth, uh, my dad had a, a couple different planes. My brothers learned to, uh, to fly, one of which is a pilot for a major airline. Um, I can say that I've honestly never been in a private hangar that had uh, a private bar just in the middle of the hangar next to Learjets. <laughs> it does seem awfully convenient. Uh, the funny thing, though, about Louise, at least uh, observes Jacques as he switches to English, uh, he thought that her name was Electra. And uh, he also knows about the long list of people she's killed. He he details a few around the world. Buenos Aires, the lawyer in Berlin, that very messy episode in Morocco, trying to understand how one woman could fit six bodies in the Maserati. Listen, if you have to ask, then you don't deserve to know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You're going to try to kill me. Something like that, Matt, if you're counting, that's the third time in two episodes we've used the phrase something like that. Getting a little stale. Huh. I I had not been counting, but now I will. Well, Pete, it's rude to keep a girl waiting. So the show decides to actually have us be waiting on that moment (laughs) of tension, which, you know, some of our finger wagging aside, that's what you do. You cut away from a moment of high tension to have us be hooked into the drama. At the medical examiner's crap bag hotel, the medical examiner can be pronounced dead by the medical exam. Oh, well, never mind. But he's dead. So there's that. Karen but says, wait, the whole- wait, it's not Castle style, Matt. And which kudos to the show here. We are taking the writing to task here. I was like, um, of course, it's like Frank style. Didn't you see how Reyes was gunned down the whole? I wasn't quite caught up fully at that point, but. I guess we'll talk about those secrets uh, down the line. Ellison suggests that she's projecting. She needs to be objective to keep her eye on the truth. This little little gumshoe reporter that she is, a little cub reporter. She needs to get her lists of potential names and hand them to the NYPD. Oh, and she needs protection from the NYPD. This is a moment that's perfectly played. She calls it patriarchal BS, her protection. Something that Ellison would never give to Ben. And Ellison says, yes, it is. And he won't make mis- that mistake again. Boom. Truth bomb dropped. A good scene between the two of them. Also in play is the uh, former nurse uh, 
uh, for Castle when the DNR was issued by the DA's uh, office, who is now the janitor. So she's going to go back and get her files from her apartment, and I'm sure that'll go exactly as they planned with these two cops. <laughs> Speaking of all these hospitals back at Metro General, Daniel wakes up and is coherent and on the mend. His dad, Stan, comes in. The show gamely uses Claire's dialogue to remind us of the connection, just in case you weren't completely clear, uh, which is a fair point because we haven't seen enough of Daniel to go, oh, right, the accountant's kid. Claire gives them a minute to catch up before the police arrives. Pete, Stan promises it's all going to be better, but that look on Daniel's face tells me that Stan might not be reading the situation properly. There was some front-loading here as well when uh, she checks the reflexes of his feet and then he can feel them. So uh, definitely some foreshadowing. Uh, Claire heads up to the roof where uh, Matt Murdock... Uh, is clad in the daredevil armor just without his helmet. He, of course, could hear everything downstairs. He doesn't want the crappy coffee. He instead is already drinking guilt. <laughs> he, guilt of course, tea, Matt. Pete, guilt tea indeed. By the way, Matt's been keeping an ear out for Foggy, who is three flights down. He's watching the Jets game, which made me think, Pete, this must be later in this hot, hot summer, um, since the football's Jets don't play in the middle of the summer. Um, Claire notes that the bullet wound that Foggy has will improve his hip-hop career. I think we all got a good chuckle out of that one. Uh, she also outs Matt as putting himself up on his own cross. Maybe he should join everybody else on the ground. And uh, Claire tells Matt, too, that uh, the basement victims are starting to wake up. Toxicology shows that they were bled systematically with eight organic substances replacing the blood. What were they? Not quite sure. Pete, were they human farms to incubate a mysterious substance or two? I think that's definitely where we're headed. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about um, in our sidebar segment what possibly could be going on. She says it reads like a cheap science fiction novel. But round we come back to uh, what's going on with Matt, that um, he is St. Matthew here. He can, he can ditch the hair shirt already, the self-flagellation that, uh, you know, there are other people in Hell's Kitchen who give an S, 122, not 122 of them, but I, I think you get it, um, that uh, despite the fact that uh, Matt is there and there are doctors and lawyers and all these other people, he's still standing guard here because he's convinced Nobu is going to figure out where they are and he needs to be there. Elsewhere, Karen is home, a place I think we haven't seen since episode 101. Uh, it's amazing how it did look familiar, despite having not spent much time there. Uh, Karen sees that the cops are waiting outside. Um, she's aware of it. We're aware of it. The one cop, you know, says something uh, borderline flirty, and essentially that's the story excuse to kick him out. Me, personally, if I had police guard, I'd be like, come on in, close the door. Let's just hang out for a minute while I get my secret stuff that has led to requiring not one but two members of the NYPD to keep an eye on me. Pete, I think we as the audience get doubly nervous, though, when they're both facing the same way. Their backs to the hallway and there's a shadow approaching. Who knows what the shadow knows, Pete? He knows these cops are done. That's what he knows. Um, there's thudding and... Uh, Karen asks for the officers. Of course they don't answer. And she reaches into her dresser for a gun. Wait a minute. The last time I saw her with a gun, she shot one of our favorite characters from the first season. Her gun is out. Frank walks in. It wasn't me. It wasn't me, he keeps repeating. Um, he's able to prove that as uh, a machine gun starts to fire. He jumps on her and cradles her pete i know that there's there's only so many ways one might cover someone else's body but th there's just something i mean i believe that every fiber of john bernthal's being was to to be frank castle 
trying to protect every corner of this other character. It was, it was, there's just something extra there. It's wonderful, uh, wonderful what he's brought. Anyhow, brief uh, respite in the firing. Now, do you believe me? With that, they get out of there. <laughs> we head back to prison, Matt, where there's classical music, steak, there is wine being served in, uh, plastic little plastic cups which is just such an excellent touch um the lip there of fisk to the uh, right corner the alcohol irritates from his uh his dust up with uh with matt murdoch and he asks miguel one of the brothers there he is uh fronting the rent for their mother to uh call donovan he'd like to re-examine the Murdoch files. Back we go a bit incongruously, perhaps, to that swanky airport bar where Electra and Jacques are fighting. It's not the first Marvel fight in an airport hangar, but this one is particularly vicious. Elodie Young's stunt work herself, the one, the stunt work that she does, is wonderful. As is those over the uh, those with the hair over the face stunt woman. Um, particularly as the character of Electra gets slammed into the airplane wing. Um, again, this show an embarrassment of riches when it comes to great fights. This one still found a way to kind of have a new energy to it. Yeah, between the, the corkscrew, between sliding over the wing and then being slammed into it, and, and suddenly Jacques pulls out his, uh, his size there, which she's, of course, able to impale with him. And uh, in terms of getting some kind of information out of him that he is with the hand, he's not. She declares this is not her war. But wait, Stick sent me. Oh, he did, huh? Spray everywhere. (laughs) So, Pete, you could say that first Jacques got screwed and then he had to sigh goodbye. Wow. It's just it's off the dome, Pete. Back we go to the hospital roof. The ninjas are coming. The ninjas are coming with grappling hooks and whatnot. I wondered if perhaps the cartoonish response would be to simply grab the grappling hook from the hook end and kind of, you know, try and pull it off the roof, but uh, apparently not. Um, Matt needs to suit up quickly. We've seen him in the suit minus the helmet, but I like the little story flourish of, oh, he has to get the gloves on too. It's selling that he's not completely ready for this. Uh, downstairs, Claire finds the five victims are standing around the dead stand. Pete, they're standing in, a, in, in that kind of almost pyramid shape. It's, it's beautiful for the camera to catch. They appear it is. brainwashed. Go back and watch, though, too, because she leaves and there's a flash and then they're standing in the reverse direction in the same order. So kind of creepy, but I'm down with it, uh, the way it's presented. Um, Foggy, of course, is checking out the window as well as the grappling hooks continue to go up uh, the hospital. And um, suddenly we see a a large number of uh, ninjas scaling and uh, Daredevil is ready to tangle with them as the episode ends. Jackson, you're already badgering the witness. Well, what do you want me to give him a testimonial dinner? Who brought the heat into Hell's Kitchen in this episode? Matt, we will begin with unnamed, not Frank Castle shooter. Or shooters. That's the big mystery, isn't it? I have absolutely no idea. There was one little thing that I had accidentally been spoiled on, and it was in preparation for either episode 208. I heard it happen, and I didn't do it. Yes, that's true, because I had wanted to clarify something about D.A. Reyes, and on the MCU wiki or whatever it is, Samantha Reyes deceased, and I was like, oh, man, and then I actually forgot about it, because as I was watching this episode, (laughs) I was like, what was that thing? I wonder if it happens here, and then, yeah, and and then she got shot, Um, so I have no idea. It's weird knowing that the answer is out there. I feel like after the reveal of Fisk, which I also didn't know was going to happen, after his return to the story, I mean, it, it could be it could go in any direction. It could go to another Marvel baddie. It could, I mean, I perhaps most logically it's the hand because maybe they're trying to do some sort of uh, 
Rachel Ghoul, uh, you know, uh, burn the city to have it come back anew, you know, destabilization thing, but no idea who's on the other side of that gun. Fisk, Matt, you mentioned him, and we have the tremendously dramatic scene with he and and Matt in prison with his Johnny Cochran esque lawyer and paid off guards around there. What's the end game? What is the idea that bringing Matt there to gloat and to inform him that he's coming for him? What's that? What's that do for this character? I I, I think that Fisk's end game is simply to to uh, I don't know to find find the legal means out. I think I think he's been completely transparent, at least to us, the audience. And and I'll just repeat what I said earlier. I I think he has a decent chance in in our world, if not the the fictional world, uh, that 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 he actually exists in, to to to, to get out one of these. You know, well, you plea to, you know, third misdemeanor accounting errors. You know, all of this stuff. Um, I think he's just he's building that empire up. You know, one block at a time from prison. The stuff about him re-examining uh, Murdoch's files, and and we'll talk a little bit more about it in our next segment. But that's certainly loaded with possibility. So I like that. Not only have we had that the tension-filled and and uh, bloody meeting between the two of them as Matt Murdock and Wilson Fisk, not as Daredevil and Kingpin, but that Fisk will continue to work on him uh, afterward is, uh, it's meaty, Matt. Very, very meaty. You know who's got a knife to cut through it, Pete? It's all Wilson Fisk. How about Jacques Duchamp, if we are to even believe that that's his name? That's probably French for like John Smith or something. I don't know. Um, uh, well, I guess the question is this. Do we take him at his word that he was sent by Stick? It's a, it, it's it. And when I say it, the story point in this episode with Electra, it's a slightly weird point in the story. I guess they want to set up her return. I mean, it's clearly set up for the future, right? Um, I'm just confused why, I mean, how many episodes has she been gone for, Pete? I know we do two a week, so time might blur together. She hasn't been gone that long, right? Not even an episode. Not even an episode. So the notion that she's left, and that was what they were saying, right? She had come back to the United States, right? This was not the process of her leaving. No, she was preparing to leave. She was preparing to leave. Okay, then I, I... I apologize that that was not clear in Listen, my mind. Listen, you, you you dress incognito in her her Jackie O outfit there with the with the scarf and the glasses as she's heading out. She says New York is done. Hello to Jacques Duchamp. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Of course, you're right. Well, then, I mean, the point being, this clearly is some sort of effort to bring her back into the story when otherwise she was leaving, which is fine. I feel like. I, I will buy Stick as the secret head to the anti-hand and that he's always been this way and he trains people in secret and in, in cells that don't know it and Matt didn't know that Electra was always going after him and, to, and blah, blah, blah. I'll accept all that. I, I, I find it a little difficult to believe that this was Stick who did this. I won't be amazed if that's the case. Um, I just feel like it's it, it's a weird bit of storytelling that I don't see quite where it's headed, and this is now the point, as we talk about in every season, where you need to start to clip those loose threads or resolve those loose threads. Three episodes to go. I don't know that we're we're gonna go and now to the Himalaya Mountains where Stick and Matt and Electra will have their awesome final duel. We have other things going on in the story uh, in, in in the story period. If we take it at face value, it makes sense that, um, you know, she acts the way she does towards someone who claims to be from stick, but not before she's already stuck this guy who claims he's from stick. 
you know, she's a killer. We've, we've established that she enjoys it. Um, would stick have sent somebody to kill her? I, it, I'm going to assume you're asking me the question and not, not rhetorically. <laughs> um, I have a hard time believing stick would send someone to kill her merely because she said I'm through. I mean, can't you just give her a month to cool down and then, you know, be like, Hey, you want to come back and be a secret killer to protect the world? Um, so I'm going to vote no on that one. Ninjas, Matt, a whole lot of them, grappling hooks, guns, swords. Yeah. The closing shot was wonderful. And indeed, that whole last uh, unfolding scene, not just with the creepy basement victims, which, which added its own delicious and awful tension, but we see one grappling hook. Then we see two or three grappling hooks or ninjas mid-climb. And the the edit really layers on nicely the final shot where you go, all right, well, yeah, Matt could take on three guys. Matt could take on five guys. You know, it's eight guys in two different sections of roof. Matt can get, a, oh, no, there's like 12, there's 15. Who knows how many there are? And what ends up being a, a, a really great use of that location because you have maybe eight guys on ropes in kind of this this three-sided, you know, multi-corner facet to the building. But hidden from the camera could be a whole other crew of ninjas elsewhere. So dire straits and really, uh, you know, it's, it's just swarming with ninjas. Lastly, these patients, Matt, have, have now turned killer and uh, aware that they need to reunite with their hand handlers. Ooh, nice turn of phrase there. I would have, on the one hand, I would have liked if the surprise was held off and we weren't given the bit of foreshadowing as Daniel, you know, turns creepy doll's head style to look at <laughs> beloved father with unloving eyes. You know, I'm talky Tina and I'm going to kill you, dad. <laughs> but to have, I mean, I, I wonder if you took out that shot, does it then come uh, just out of the blue and it's, you know, oh man, sick kid, wait, uh, am I better now? Where am I? To, you know, dad is dead. And we might have been, we might have been here complaining, oh, we didn't see this coming. It's, it's you know, it's, it's it was just out of, out of the blue. Um, the creepy factor makes up for that because their, their weird triangular arrangement, both facing the hallway and facing the, the, the window, almost as though they sense the ninjas coming and are called to them was wonderful, wonderful shot there. Your Honor, may I approach the bench? May I approach the bench? It's time to step aside and approach the bench to discuss some off-the-record theories. You be the judge. Matt, one-shooter, two-shooter, penny and dime? Ooh, tough question. I am going to say one shooter because I think we have enough, just from a story perspective, we have enough black clad mass of ninjas. We have enough anonymous bad guys um, where I think to, you know, for Matt to defeat all of them and then to go to, uh, you know, the next spot in, in the next episode where there's going to be, you know, the, the, the machine gun army of eight people. I, I think it's just visually it becomes a bit difficult story-wise it becomes a bit difficult uh who that could be i have no idea i mean i, I know that there is the there is a i believe it's craven the hunter who's a comic character but that's also a spider-man guy so does that mean he's off limits other than that i'll just say one guy and um actually you know what pete i'm gonna throw forth a theory because i realized as i'm talking about shooting guy there is one other shooting guy from all that we've talked about makes me think of uh will simpson there from jessica jones i don't know if they do a crossover there um and i'm certainly approaching this 100 spoiler free so if i'm right i'm not being a spoiler um but i could see i could see it maybe being him interesting the, we've talked already, Matt, at length about the meeting that takes place between Murdoch and Fisk and how, at least from a, a logical perspective, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Here's where I think 
I throw out the theory that it could make the most. And obviously he's requested the, um, the file on Murdoch. Does he suspect Murdoch is the daredevil? I think that that is a possibility based on how we leave Fisk in the episode. I, I the, um, the way in which his handcuffs come off suggest a couple of things. Either he is flexing a, a superhuman power that he knows he's already had, uh, but that the show has kind of kept hidden and that we've seen flashes of, let's say, in the, the fight with Castle last episode, and all of a sudden saw that in the person he was beating. Um, or even if that's not a place that they're going, it could just be something of that could feel familiar. And as as the cerebral kingpin that he is, he's going to want to check and recheck and look for these clues. I mean, you think of in the last episode how he's he, he sets up a whole prison coup on yellow legal pads. He wants more of that information to make an informed decision. I think, too, there's story pressure, this notion of uh, Castle saying, you know, the next time we meet, only one of us is walking away. Okay, well, I think on the one hand, we need Kingpin for Defenders, I think. But I also think that we need some kind of resolution this season. So it's possible that Kingpin finds out and then is done away with uh, by the end of this season. But uh, I guess time will tell, as with all things. Who beats up a blind man? Wilson Fisk does, because Pete... He doesn't think that uh, not beating up the man just because he's blind, <laughs> that's not an accommodation for that particular disability, which still wonderfully slimy writing there to suggest that uh, by, by Fisk vis-a-vis Donovan the lawyer to suggest that that blindness is kind of this um, peculiar thing that, that we, we don't quite see the need to accommodate. But in this rare case, we'll, 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 we'll grant you the, the least little something to say you can read before you sign we'll, we'll let you use that it's it's a wonderful moment how about this uh super uh ritzy private hangar that um has people who may be coming and going who completely um do not acknowledge a ninja fight take place in the middle of it well they were only coming and going insofar as Electra had to walk from the front of the hangar to the bar. We never saw a bartender. Um, this almost, Pete, this almost has the slight sniff of maybe a reshoot or a picked up shot or something of that regard. Uh, I mean, I'm just thinking of as great as the fight was and choreographed and whatnot. I'm just saying saying to myself, oh, if if the show needed something to clear up an Electra story point uh, in some regard, whether it's maybe uh, the, the betrayal by stick or that she has not left, even though she said she was going to leave something like that. And crud, we don't have what we need because what we shot isn't working or there was a oversight in the writing and we never thought we needed it, whatever it might be, you know, an enclosed hangar at night with minimal extras with, with, you know, set pieces that don't move around with lots of room to get a steady camera moving. Maybe that's the source of that scene. Some kind of, again, I don't want to suggest last minute like it's sloppy, but you shoot a season of Daredevil for six months. It's enough time to say, you know what, we, we need to make these changes. Heck, Pete, long-time listeners, really long-time listeners, will think back to the Alcatraz podcast where whole characters disappeared after four or five episodes edited out of the thing entirely due to reshoots. Maybe this is a reshot scene, something to, to give a little extra juice to the story. These patients, Matt, used as human incubators for uh, as many as eight different substances. Could this be where the blacksmith is, is bringing his, uh, his drugs? Hirochi was tasting uh, the, the dragon sauce before we met them the first time, or is this something even more sinister? I think it's headed towards something more sinister, particularly as we look to the slight uh, mystical edge of things, Madame Gao, Iron Fist, etc. Um, 
I'm not saying that what is in them is mystical, but I, I think it's going to be more along the lines of, uh, you know, bio weapon or, or something of that regard versus, you know, they have an, a, a special strain of heroin in their bloodstream. We've been using our enhanced senses to monitor the frequencies. Here's what you had to say. Pete, we had uh, tweeted out a picture from this episode at the New York Bolton. Did not have any character in it. Did not have even the setting. It was just a picture uh, of uh, two news stories hanging on the wall of the uh, the New York Bolton. One, the headline screams Cybertech settles. The other headline, a little bit more difficult to read, but you can make out that it says Stark Tower ruined during Battle of New York. And uh, just had mentioned those two things, mentioned that that's how you run a cinematic uh, universe across multiple TV and film franchises. Wanted to give a shout out to Lucas Diaz on Twitter, at 73LucasDiaz. Um, his response, almost immediate, this is from Daredevil. So uh, good sharp eyes there, Lucas. I think that it says a lot for a show, particularly a bingeable one, that someone would be able to identify a frame and know what it is. We did not hashtag that, uh, nothing. So, uh, good on you, Lucas. And, uh, definitely says something about you as a fan as well. Also just want to mention on Twitter, uh, with this idea of the cinematic universe, uh, a couple of weeks ago in agents of shield, uh, the, the larger story was taking place in Indiana, but there was a, there was a, a news crawl on the bottom that read Gang War Rages in Hell's Kitchen and uh, a couple people tweeted in like uh, there was uh, there was Jake, there was Miguel, there was Damiano who had all tweeted in to say things like there was a Daredevil Easter egg that didn't go unnoticed, references to uh, Captain America Civil War, Daredevil all in a single scene, uh, Michael uh, saying I like that nod to the Gang War in Hell's Kitchen, winky. Hashtag Daredevil, hashtag Easter Egg. So, yes, this is not the perfectly geek-gasm, uh, you know, conflagration. We've talked many times before about how, in reality, Marvel TV, as part of the overall Marvel uh, structure, is now at a different place on the corporate ladder than Marvel films, and that's unfortunate, and hopefully that's healing. But in the sandbox that we get to watch and play in, um, it's all one big universe, and I love these little connections. Absolutely. And uh, again, our, our fans staying on top of those and, and listeners letting us know if we didn't see it already. Um, I'll just mention, Matt, that we can always use uh, reviews to our iTunes uh, Daredevil count. Um, you help us in that you give us the feedback. You help others in that you help people find us. Um, so if you go on iTunes there and just search Daredevil, we're the first thing that pops up. Pete, also popping up and increasing is our support on Patreon. Want to give thanks to everybody who's headed out there. Want to give thanks to the people who are who are helping the podcast make its way financially. So we uh, we encourage everybody to head to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek and check out some of the uh, the goodies that we have there. Big shout out to all of our supporters, even the people who would go so far as to check out the perks that we continue to uh, upload and update. Some real good ones coming up. You're going to want to at least check it out. Pete, the thing, though, that gets checked out the most is your Twitter feed. How can more people see you on the Twitter sphere? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, -E -E 7,575, 7575, Matt. Whew. Followers, can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a variety of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That's Fantastic with the PH. And you can find us under that name on the dot com, the Gmail, the Twitter, the Instagram, and more. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. Like it today. 
Well, Pete, we will continue the podcasting adventure on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. soon. And, uh, Pete, are there really only three Daredevils left? Well, of this season. Oof, that's true. Uh, but uh, three left for this season and this go-around of the podcast. Uh, and uh, lots more Marvel stuff to look forward to ahead. Uh, we'll be, in the months to come, talking Luke Cage. We'll be talking, hopefully, Marvel's Most Wanted and uh, more Defenders. And it's just... It, it, it's, it's an adventure, Pete. It absolutely is. But this particular adventure has come to an end. So I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Let's do this again sometime. 